This is uh, the part of the story where the rubber um, starts to, to hit the roads. If you were turning this, uh, this Bible story uh, into a film, uh, it would be the part of the film where the, the crew has been assembled. They've, uh, they've wrecked the land, uh, they found themselves some sweet guns and a token blonde from somewhere, and it's the quiet before the storm, uh, because this uh, passage uh, in a few moments is about to explode. Uh, the camp is tense. Uh, fires are a roasting lamb, and, and parents are talking in, in hushed tones, and the children can't hear, and they don't really understand. Uh, there's a feeling of anxiety, and, uh, and some of the people feel a, a little bit sick. I don't know what you're like uh, traveling, but I am a very anxious traveler. I like to arrive um, the full three hours before any of my flights because you never know if Ryanair are going to take off two hours before they say they will. I like to to be there ready and waiting. Uh, The Israelites are in a state of high alert. They're ready and waiting uh, because they're about to flee. Uh, This passage uh, is about to to go off like an episode of Prison Break on speed. Uh, A whole nation, not just a prison, uh, is about to escape. Uh, But this this passage uh, sees um, two and a half uh, million people uh, escape the clutches uh, of one of the most powerful empires the world has ever seen. But we're not just uh, about to witness a people escape, but a whole nation being birthed. Uh, This passage, uh, the escape from Egypt, uh, is one of the first times that Israel is referred to uh, as a defined people group and family. Uh, They become uh, a nation and a state uh, in this act of leaving Egypt. Uh, In other words, they receive their identity as a state and a nation through the saving work of God. Their identity as a country and a culture is forever rooted in the saving act that God permitted at Passover. As a church and as a family here tonight, our identity is also rooted in the saving work and act of God. It's not um, whether we're particularly good at anything or particularly bad, but rooted in the fact that God loves us and cares for us and has saved us. But um, at Passover, uh, we see God start to create uh, and build his family. Um, theologian Tom Wright was asked uh, to sum up the Bible in one line. And he said this, he said, The Bible is all about God getting his family back. The Bible is all about God getting his family back. And in Passover, uh, we see God start to fill up the seats around the table. Uh, He's drawing uh, a nation and a family to himself, and he's trying to draw us to himself tonight. Uh, Jesus is still inviting us uh, to meet with him, whether it's for the first time or for the hundredth time. God is making himself known tonight, just like he was at Passover. Uh, maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus or you've, you've been away for a long time. Uh, well, Jesus is inviting you to recommit or commit yourself to following him. Uh, in the Passover and tonight, Jesus is making himself known. I want you to, to leave here tonight knowing that Jesus is the better Passover. Uh, I want you to be uh, in awe at the wonder and the saving work of Jesus, the love that he's poured out over you. Because Jesus is the better Passover. Now, in my, um, in my notes, um, I have something, I, I have badger story written. Now, I have a story about a badger, but it's, it, the connection to what I'm going to say um, is loose at best. 
we have an option. We can skate over Badger story, although it's quite a good one, or you can indulge me and I can tell my Badger story. Can I tell my Badger story? Tell the Badger story. Good. Okay. I was... We've got time to fill. That's the thing tonight, guys. And this is a solid three minutes. So I was uh, in Oslo a little over a month ago, uh, and I went on, um, thank you, Johnny, he's laughing. I was uh, on a little bit of an adventure in faith uh, with three guys, um, and we were um, sent uh, to Oslo to go and pray for the student church um, there. And we went to um, pray with people on the street and to partner with some of the local churches uh, and chat to them uh, and pray with them. And as part of going, uh, we decided not to take um, any money um, we decided just to go uh, with our rucksacks uh, and just see what God would provide, whether he would provide uh, food for us or places to stay. Uh, and on the first night, um, I learned a, a valuable lesson. I learned that uh, when I was faced with the opportunity to, to well, if I, was, if I had to make the decision to either be fed or be housed, I would always choose to be fed. So on the first night, apparently that's a boy decision. Anyway, I am... Um, we, we got fed really well, but we wound up uh, with nowhere to stay on the first night. Um, and I'd been, um, I'm a little older and a little wiser than some of the other boys in my group. Uh, and so I'd gone, well, hard to believe, but they're very little, bless them. Um, but I, um, I went uh, well prepared and equipped. So in my, uh, in my rucksack, I'd, uh, I'd put a sleeping bag. A few of the three boys in my group had bought towels instead of sleeping bags. Because obviously we were going to get somewhere to stay and then they would need towels to wash themselves. Anyway, well, yeah, I had a, a sleeping bag, so I, uh, I laid that out uh, with the other three uh, under a bush. And just before we were about to go to sleep, uh, one of them uh, piped up and said, uh, does anyone know if uh, sleeping under a bush in a park in Oslo is illegal? Do you know when I don't want to have that conversation? Someone about to sleep under a bush in a park in Oslo. But I, I fell asleep fairly quickly, uh, and they tossed and turned for a couple of hours. Uh, and it got to about 1am um, in the morning. Uh, and suddenly, uh, there was uh, a pounding on the ground, and it felt like everything around me, the whole bush was starting to shake. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm about to die. <laughs> it's 1am in Oslo, we are breaking the law. Either four horses are about to gallop across me and chew me to death, or this is the police and I'm about to get thrown into jail for the rest of my life. I am too young to go to prison, and I'm too good-looking. It cannot happen. But uh, after a, a second, uh, a fox suddenly shot across uh, where we were sleeping. Uh, and I don't mind foxes. Foxes are fine. They're kind of cute. Uh, what came next really worried me. Two huge badgers ran right across our sleeping bags. That's the badger story. Thank you. <laughs> Two huge badger stories ran across where I was sleeping and started to fight. And what did I say? Did I say it right? Anyway, let's keep going. Let's not lose the momentum. Two huge badgers ran across me and started uh, fighting and chasing and trying to eat uh, the fox. Now, another secret for you. I haven't had my TB injection. I was sick on the day at school that was happening. I'm terrified of injections. So quite literally, two badgers with TB ran across my bed. <laughs> I could well have died. That's my connection. The angel of death, badgers, passed <laughs> over me. You can applaud now, P's and G's. Thank you. I, um, we discussed, every, before we come out on a Sunday night, we discussed how's, how's the worship going to be, how's the um, sermon, and I reckon that Tonight's sermon was about a six, um, and this is the peak of that sermon, so bolt up and brace in. 
But the, the Passover is uh, the story of the angel of death passing over Egypt, but none of the Israelites being hurt. It's the moment uh, where God delivers his people from Egypt, uh, and they begin the journey into the promised land. And uh, the Passover comes uh, at the end of a, a series of events. It's the tenth plague of nine. And every play, God has used as an opportunity uh, to express himself as supreme over each individual Egyptian god. Uh, God has lined up uh, the gods of Egypt, and each plague uh, has taken another clump of them down. The, um, the first plague um, was, uh, was where he turned uh, the river Nile into blood, and it, it revealed the impotence uh, of the river god. The second plague uh, of frogs revealed the impotence of Happy and Haket, uh, who were symbolized by frogs. The third, uh, the third was a, a plague of lice and that uh, deposed uh, the god of the earth. The fourth plague, flies, revealed the impotence of Yuakatik, the god of flies. Every single plague that goes along uh, deposes another god. Uh, god is trying to tell Egypt, watch out, that uh, I'm in charge and I'm supreme. Everything uh, that you thought was worth worshipping about, I am bigger than and more powerful than. Before, um, God, God is trying to, to warn the Egyptians. Uh, he's trying to, to point that something is coming, uh, and so you're going to need to change the way that you're living. Uh, in World War II, before the bombers uh, would uh, bomb a city, uh, planes would fly over, and they would drop leaflets saying that on this date, at this time, uh, there's going to be uh, a bomb going off. So you need to get out of the city and flee. Uh, God is doing a similar kind of thing. He's warning the Egyptians, warning the Israelites, saying that I am supreme, and there's only so long I'll let my children be in chains and be slaves before I do something. God is uh, giving the Egyptians the chance to recognize that he's supreme and in charge and in power and turn to him. I think it's uh, entirely possible that some of the Egyptians uh, recognized what God was doing uh, and responded by turning to him. Take a listen uh, to this. It's Exodus uh, 9 verse 18. It says, uh, Therefore at this time tomorrow I will send the worst hailstorm that's ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. Give an order to bring your livestock and everything you have in the fields to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every person and animal that's not been brought in, and it's still out in the field and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who heard the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and livestock inside, but those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. In other words, some of the Egyptians heard the news of the hailstorm and they responded. They were starting to recognize that the things that were being spoken of were going to come to pass. People were, were hearing about them before that actually happened. These weren't um, prophecies and plagues and warnings that were being whispered to Pharaoh, but they were being uh, shouted and broadcast over a nation. If you think, uh, if seven plagues happened and then everything that was warned about came to pass, people would start to take notice. They would start to, to listen and be interested. So they would say that, that our God is, is sending hailstorms to take your cattle inside, or he's sending locusts, uh, so gather your harvest for it's all eaten, or, or all the firstborns are going to die, so take a lamb and paint its blood over your doorways. Every time the warning of a plague would come, and it Bit by bit, it started to seep into the Egyptians' consciousness. It's the nature of God that he gives us, gives us the chance to turn and to change the way that we're living before he comes and responds in judgment. God is um, 
God is trying to make himself known. And the plagues um, serve a, a dual purpose. They were to force Pharaoh's hands, but also demonstrate the power and the glory of God. Uh, he's calling everyone and everything to himself. Uh, and he longs for us to hear and respond and to live differently. He wants uh, our friends and our colleagues uh, at work as well to hear him and respond. Uh, God is trying uh, to help us recognize that he is supreme and Lord over everything in this world. And as he does that and dismantles all of the um, powers and authorities and exposes them uh, for the falsehood that they really are, he's longing for us to come and enter into relationship with him. Uh, tonight, uh, some of you will hear the good news of Jesus and you'll respond to him for the first time because you'll recognize that, that God is loving and kind and gracious and that he's more fulfilling and satisfying than anything that you've ever experienced or seen or met with before. At the center um, of this saving at Passover uh, is a lamb. Uh, and the community is given uh, precise and clear instructions uh, as to what to do with the lamb and how to deal with its blood. Uh, it says, uh, tell the community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they need to share one with their nearest neighbor. You will determine how much lamb uh, is needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Uh, choose a firstborn without defect or blemish. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all members of the community of Israel will slaughter them together at twilight. Then put some of the blood uh, and put it on the sides and tops of your door frames where uh, each of the houses uh, that the lambs will be eaten are. Uh, the, um, the Israelites are given very clear and specific instructions around what to do with the lamb. It, it's, very, um, it's very detailed, and the, the most important detail they're given uh, is that the blood is to be spread over the doorways so that when the destroyer passes, when, when the angel of God sweeps over uh, the nation, uh, he'll know not to take the firstborn from that house. In other words, um, every house will have something dead in it. Either it will be uh, a lamb that's been slaughtered, or it will be one of the firstborns. And if you slaughtered a lamb and painted the blood over the doorway, uh, the angel of death will know not to take the firstborn of that house. Uh, verse 30, a little beyond our passage, says, uh, Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house with someone, without someone dead in it. Every single house had someone or something dead in it by morning. It was a case of whether you'd heard the previous nine warnings, whether you recognized that God was supreme and in power. And if you recognized that, then you would have killed the lamb and painted its blood over your doorway. And in doing that, you'd have ensured that the angel passed over you. Now, let me, um, let me expand that by uh, way of a, a story. I was in uh, America a couple of years ago, um, uh, and I was there for maybe three months or so, and someone gave me uh, a really big car. They gave me uh, an American Suburban, which is, um, is absolutely colossal. I, uh, I left it uh, at church one weekend so the bishop uh, could take it hunting, and he managed to kill a whole deer and store it uh, in the back of the car. Uh, it bled everywhere, and it was disgusting, and it stank. Um, but it was an absolutely uh, huge, cumbersome car. Uh, and one night I was following some of my uh, friends back uh, to a house I hadn't been to. I wasn't really sure about um, where we were going. Uh, so I was trying to keep uh, as close to the car in front as physically possible. Now, there are some rules around uh, how you make sure uh, the person following you in the car can keep 
following you without breaking the law. Probably number one on that list is, if you go into a set of traffic lights and it goes to amber, you stop. You slow down. The car in front of me came into a traffic light, it went amber, and instead of stopping, they floored it. They put their foot flat to the ground and shot off, and I thought, well, I can't get lost, I don't know where I am. So I, I put my foot down to the floor and I tried to smash it through the lights as well, except they got through when it was still on amber. I was halfway across the junction and it had gone red. Fun fact about America. They can't afford to give everyone who needs it adequate health care. They can afford to put a policeman in a car on every single junction. <laughs> so as I crossed the lights after it had gone red, uh, a blue flashing uh, police car came and it pulled me into the side of the road uh, and he gave me uh, three different tickets. Uh, he gave me uh, one for um, dangerous driving, number one. He gave me uh, the second, driving without a license. Thank you, P's and G's. And he gave me a third for um, not being able to produce proof of ownership of the vehicle. I am your priest. Welcome. <laughs> So um, it, we managed to um, work out the driving without a license one very quickly, um, and that was kind of swept aside uh, before I got to court. But I had to go to court. Um, uh, maybe uh, two weeks later, I find myself um, in this kind of uh, American um, court, what have you, and you, you sit and you watch all the other uh, cases go to trial first. And they're only very quick, very minor traffic offences. Um, uh, mine, um, my name got called, and I got, I got read my charges and the punishment and the offence that I was to be given. And I, I had about... Um, $600 worth of fines to pay. Now, before I'd, I'd gone to court, I'd taken a little bit of time to chat with some people and said, look, I know I'm guilty, so, but how, how do I minimize this? And they'd give me a, a letter saying um, that I was there working with the church, and they said, it probably won't work, but we'll give you this and we'll, we'll give it a shot. So I, I walked up to the bench and he read me my charges and the punishment. He said, how do you plead? And I said, I plead guilty. The judge stopped for a second and, and realized that I wasn't um, from America. I didn't have a, a deep southern drawl like everyone else did. And he said, tell me, where, where are you from? I said, I'm from the UK. And he, he said, oh, okay, so, so what are you doing in this country? And I said, well, I'm, I'm studying uh, back home in the UK uh, to be a, a, pastor of a, a pastor of churches over there. And he said, ah, okay, I want to do everything within my power to make sure that young men are able to train and be pastors. So I'm going to drop all of the charges. It's, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, I know. It's so corrupt over there. You don't, you, don't, you, you don't want to see some of the things other people got away with. It's mental. I'm a terrible driver. They should not have let me walk out of there. But I, I managed to walk free $600 worth of fines just because I got a winning smile and I want to work for the church. <laughs> Madness. You see, I was, um, the judge passed over me, didn't punish me. Um, because, uh, the, the analogies are really tenuous tonight. We're just going to just run with it. We'll be fine, as long as no one points it out. Um, the, the charges were dropped uh, against me because, uh, firstly, the judge um, was kind and generous and a little bit bent, um, but also because uh, of my status uh, as a training pastor. I was training to, to lead a church. Israel is passed over because of their status uh, as his people uh, and the blood over their doors. Uh, if you love Jesus tonight, then you are passed over. 
The judgment and the punishment that should be yours passes over you because of the blood of Jesus, because of your status as a son or a daughter of him. The Passover is also to be eaten quickly. There's lots of detail in the text centered around getting the job done as quickly as possible. Uh, They're told to to get it well in advance, five days in advance, so there's no last-minute panic. The equivalent of uh, before Christmas Day comes, don't leave your shopping until the night before, because then all the good presents will be gone from the shops. This is make sure you get your lamb bought five days before, so there's no last-minute panic or worry or anxiety. They're told uh, to roast it so it cooks quicker. Uh, Don't spend time waiting for your your bread to rise, uh, but essentially um, eat kind of like flatbread-type things. Uh, Eat it with your your shoes on uh, and ready to walk out the door. All the detail here is around getting the job done quickly, eating it uh, in haste and with a a sense of urgency because God is in a hurry. P's and G's, there's a reminder in this text tonight to keep your running kit on. If you don't have any running kit, buy some sweet new trainers and some running shorts because God is reminding you to keep your running kits on. He wants the Israelites to flee their old lives as slaves. He doesn't want them to waste uh, any time still living uh, in their old ways, still living like they did uh, when they were back in Egypt as slaves, but says, the second I've passed over, I want you to flee your old lives, uh, to run away, to sprint uh, from your old selves. Uh, We used to live uh, as slaves to sin and to fear. Uh, And Jesus died so that we could run away from that, so that we could sprint uh, and leave all of that behind. But it's not just about what we're running from, but about what we're running towards. Uh, The Israelites are running to the promised land. It's not just about the fact they've been set free uh, from Egypt and from slavery, but they get to walk uh, into the promised land that God's provided for them. As followers of Jesus, we run into the freedom and the assurance uh, that God knows us and he loves us and he cares for us and that we've been accepted by him. It's not just that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. It's not that he's given us a spirit of not being afraid, but he's actually given us one uh, of boldness. It's not just that we were uh, once orphans and now we've been adopted, but that we were once orphans, we've now been adopted, and we get to sit at the table of our Heavenly Father and eat with Him at the banquets. We get to enjoy uh, the fullness and the riches of that because it's not just about what you're leaving and running from, but what you get to run to and towards. Passover is about uh, a lamb taking Israel's place, a freeing from their old lives, and a running towards their new one with God's. That's the Passover. Now, all across this story, there is um, echoes and and signs of Jesus. Jesus is all over this story, uh, like a fat kid at a buffet. He is everywhere. You can't can't read this story. You can't move, (laughs) thank you. You can't move without seeing him. Uh, The Passover um, has lots and lots of of parallels. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 7. He says, Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be an unleavened new batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Uh, Let's start um, with some of the parallels uh, between the Passover and Jesus. Uh, The Israelites are told to select their lamb uh, on the tenth day of the month, uh, and then to wait five days until it's sacrificed. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem five days before Passover on Palm Sunday. 
In other words, the, the day where all the Israelites and the Jews are looking for their lamb. They're looking for the lamb to, to slaughter five days later at Passover. That same day, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem on a donkey. It's like he's shouting to all of Jerusalem, you're looking for a lamb, something to, to kill, something to um, bring you freedom from sin and guilt and shame. Well, I am the perfect lamb. I am the perfect Passover lamb. Here I am. And Jesus has the audacity to arrive in Jerusalem on that day. They're told uh, in Exodus to make sure that their, um, their lamb is without a uh, spot or blemish and they can't um, break any of its bones when they sacrifice it. Or we know that, that Jesus himself uh, lived the perfect life. He was without sin or stain or blemish on him. Uh, when he was crucified, he died so quickly that they didn't need to break any of the bones in his body. Often when you were um, crucified, uh, you would last quite a long time hanging on the cross. And because uh, the guards got bored and they wanted to get things moving along quickly, they would uh, break your legs so that you couldn't push yourself up uh, and take any more air. Well, Jesus died so quickly that he didn't need any of his bones to be broken. He was without sin, without blemish, and didn't need any bones breaking. While the Israelites were slaves to Egypt, we were slaves to our sin. And the blood of the Lamb brought freedom to the Israelites. Through the blood of Jesus, we brought freedom from sin and its consequences. The Passover marked the creating of a new family. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus, uh, he starts to usher in a new family too. He calls it the church. The murmurings of that family began uh, around a table on the Passover nights, uh, and there were murmurings as to what was about to happen, and he teaches them to remember him through communion. Notice that, that at no point, either at Passover or, at, uh, or through communion, does Jesus say, the thing to get right here is a, a behavior code or a set of rules, but he says, gather around this table, eat this meal with friends and family, and remember me, and remember my goodness to you. Jesus gives us a meal to remember him by, just like Passover. But Jesus isn't just, uh, he's not an equivalent to Passover. He's not um, Passover um, 2.0 or Passover a few thousand years later. Uh, but Jesus stretches and he expands and he pulls apart at the seams the old meaning of Passover. He kind of, if it was a balloon, he blew air into it. So it got um, bigger and richer and fuller. You see, because uh, the Passover lamb uh, freed Israelites from the physical slavery, but Jesus brings us uh, freedom from the Freedom from bondage of sin that suffocates us and brings us death. Uh, the Passover lamb could only take uh, the place of, this, of a nation. Uh, through the blood of Jesus, uh, he takes the place of all the nations. Uh, Hebrews 10:12 says, uh, Jesus offered one sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. The lamb could only do what it did in that moment and in that place. Uh, but Jesus did what he did uh, for the benefit of everyone across all time and in all places so that we could be uh, in deep and new relationship with him. The Passover lamb uh, was designed to stave off death uh, for that night so that no one would die. But, but Jesus, through his death and resurrection on the cross, uh, takes away the sting of death. He ensures that we'll never be separated from him again. Jesus is the better Passover. And after we've accepted that, after the Jews have taken their Passover meal, there's a call to radically alter and reorientate our lives. Exodus 12, chapter two, uh, verse 2 says, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. 
Uh, in other words, um, you're now to work from this uh, event. You used to base your, um, your new year used to start uh, in the autumn. It used to be after the, the harvest had taken place. And that meant that they could sit there and feel really smug about a good year's work well done and achieved. Uh, the Israelites are told now, your new year starts in the spring, before you've collected anything, before any work uh, has really begun. In other words, uh, your old life was about um, how you uh, achieved and um, managed to provide for yourself well. Uh, the new identity of Israel uh, isn't one of um, success or achievement, but of being uh, sure and certain and starting from the saving work of God. Uh, as followers of Jesus, uh, we, don't, um, we don't work and live uh, to earn God's approval, but we, we work and we live because we have that approval. We're not trying to um, make people um, accept us or be impressed by us, uh, but instead we know that we have God's uh, unconditional uh, acceptance and love and freedom that he brings. And we're meant um, to start our lives from that standpoint. You see, because uh, Jesus is the better Passover and he's brought us uh, deep, abiding and lasting freedom. There are um, three um, possible ways to respond tonight. Um, the, the first uh, is a call to follow him. Uh, for some of you, uh, you've, not, um, you've never followed Jesus. That's um, an unusual idea to you, but, but maybe you've been caught by something and you want uh, to commit to following him the first time tonight. For others, uh, you followed Jesus for a while, but you've gone um, cold and stale in your faith. As an opportunity tonight uh, to recommit to following him, to accepting that Jesus died in your place. Uh, he freed you um, from the consequences of sin and death and judgment, and he wants you to live uh, a new, abundant, exciting, extravagant life with him. Uh, for those of us um, who are still um, on course with Jesus, there's a, another invitation. Um, this is really good news. as an invitation uh, to worship him. To live uh, not just this moment, but our whole lives uh, as passionate worship for Jesus. That means that um, when we come to, to sing again in a few minutes, um, you might want to move your face into something resembling a smile. It's an option that we have. Maybe um, as part of your expression of worship, you want to, um, you want to raise your hands, you want to um, sing a little bit louder, you want to be uh, more extravagant and abundant in your worship because you recognize that Jesus uh, has because of the blood of Jesus, he saved you um, from a, a terrible fate. You're now free from judgment, and that's something worth uh, singing about and celebrating. And the third uh, is that you might want to tell other people. You might want to tell people who don't know Jesus, people uh, in your family, uh, people uh, that you work with, that you go on holiday with, that whoever you meet that doesn't know the good news of Jesus, you might want to start to tell them. To, bring, uh, to build relationship with them, and from that relationship start to share your faith in a deeper, more meaningful way. For those of you who, um, who want to uh, follow Jesus for the first time, uh, later on there's going to be the prayer ministry team uh, down on the side here, and we'd love uh, to pray with you about that uh, and to be a part of you making that decision. Amen.